0: hello welcome to the charity impact podcast where we aim to help you increase your charity's income and impact by sharing the experience and expertise of our guests we love to hear from our listeners so please do continue leaving reviews on your podcast players and engaging with us on linkedin and twitter where you can find the podcast and me alex blake i'm particularly keen to hear what your favorite bits of the episode are any questions or thoughts you have on the topic And any feedback you have for me as a podcast host, trying to make this resource as impactful as I can for you. I do aim to get back to everyone who engages with us in any way, so I hope to be in touch with you soon. I'm joined today by two guests from the Charities Aid Foundation, Catherine Mahoney, Research Manager, and Mark Rear, Director of Philanthropy Services. We're going to be discussing the UK Giving Report 2023, the findings and key trends from what is the largest study of giving behaviour in the UK. Looking at some of the changes year on year from pre-pandemic to now, and also how charities can respond to these challenges and opportunities. So, welcome to the podcast, Kat, Mark. Great to have you here. Looking forward to. It. I've been following CAF's work for since I started working in this sector probably a long time ago and always lots of interesting kind of reports and commentaries coming coming from you guys so I thought what would be good would be to start off just with a bit of introduction I suppose for people that haven't come across the report before so I know it's been going for a long time as I said, it's kind of, you know, largest study of given behaviour in the UK. So it'd be cool just to get that little bit of background and and that little bit about the methodology and, you know, the number of people that are involved in responding to it and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is one of our, our flagship reports at CAF, and it's a real privilege to work on, actually, because it has um, been going in one guise or another for, as you say, actually a really long time. I mean, you can find references to its precursor, Hansard references, you know, for parliamentary records back to sort of Thatcher's time and before. So it, in one in one form or another, it has been around a long time. Um, we've been producing what we're calling the UK giving reports. It's about 2004, 2005, and we overhauled it in 2016. So we moved it to an online methodology and we started doing it monthly as well, which wasn't the case before. So we now collect 1000 or so responses per month from people across the UK. We do that with um, an agency called YouGov, and that's a nationally representative survey. So those 1,000 people are, you know, you could say are broadly reflective of the UK in terms of people's age and where they live and their gender and so on. And we are asking them about their uh, charitable behaviours. So, you know, how much did they give? Who did they give to? Did they volunteer? And so on. We collect, as I say, 1,000 a month. So we're talking actually just over 1,000 a month. So it works out about 13,000 responses a year. And since we've been doing it with this methodology so since 2016, we've got about 80 or 90,000 people in our in our whole um, data set. So as you say, it is the biggest study of its kind in the UK. And having that many data points is just, you know, it's amazing to work with. It really helps us to build that um, longitudinal picture. It can help us to pick up nuances that we might otherwise miss if we just did, you know, dips at certain times of the year. Yeah. That other pieces of research might might miss. So, for example, you know, we know because we're doing it so regularly, we know when giving peaks in November, a slightly less extent in December. We can pick up things like Ukraine and people giving to Ukraine. We picked up Captain Tom. I mean, it wasn't specifically that mm. people said Captain Tom, but we could very clearly see that that spike, which is really a uh, yeah, which is really great to work with. So we've got that sort of reliability.
0: And that, and you mentioned it's like a, a representative sample of the population. So it's like a mix of age and demographics ethnicity and all of those kind of things. And so we're we're talking very much about that sort of general public giving as opposed to looking at like major philanthropy and that kind of thing with this particular report, aren't
1: we? It's definitely a broad brush. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Sort of mass giving if you like by the by the general public. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so for this latest report, which um will be obviously on the data from twenty twenty two. What what are the sort of key headline trends from that one?
1: The overall headline, I guess, is really a sort of continuation of something that we've seen over the over the last several years. I mean, in a nutshell, giving sort of levels of giving, so not necessarily the amount, but the number of people giving, had been sort of declining slightly, and just as we kind of went into the pandemic, there was a definite shift in the pandemic. Fewer people giving, and that seems to be entrenched. So basically, giving levels have never really gone back to where they were through COVID. So yeah, fewer people giving, they are on average giving more. Um, so actually last year we had 12.7 billion in donations is our estimation of the, the sort of total pot given by the British public. And that was the highest we've recorded. However, it was given by fewer people and it was likely quite a lot of that was driven, that increase was driven by giving to support, um, Ukraine mm. after the invasion. So, um, yeah, a, a challenging picture, I suppose, especially when you consider we know obviously charities are dealing with increased demand. You know, their income is down, not just from mass, you know, wider sort of public giving, but um, probably being squeezed on you know the money that they're getting from local authorities, or being asked to do more with mm-hmm. with sort of less. And costs, of course, for charities as well with energy, uh, the energy crisis, and so on. So, yeah, it's sort of a little bit of a, a negative um, picture. We saw a similar kind of thing with volunteering that went down during COVID as well. Probably, I mean, obviously it would have gone down during COVID because the the opportunities weren't there. But also I think as we came out of the pandemic, I don't know, a a lot of older people tend to volunteer maybe there's a little bit of rest to get back involved. And also people probably just got out of the habit as well. Um, Workplace sort of related volunteering as well with people working a lot more hybrid and maybe not in the office so much. So maybe some of that isn't happening as well. Yeah, so basically fewer people are giving but the people who are giving are are tending to give larger amounts um and in fact quite substantially so actually
0: yeah it's interesting isn't it those sort of developments and i I suppose you i think you said the numbers have been going down since before the pandemic so it's not necessarily a a kind of um you know related to that but we've, we've not seen them go back up again i don't know do you get a sense of I suppose this this report doesn't necessarily give you the the sort of data to to understand why that might be. But I don't know if if either of you have any any kind of um, hypotheses as to why it might be that those figures are going down.
1: I mean, I guess there are various factors at play. Certainly, opportunity I think is a big part of it, and that will have driven a lot of that acceleration or deceleration rather during COVID. Mm-hmm. We did see an uptick, quite a big uptick in the number of people who said they weren't asked to give to charity in the last year. And, you know, we know that being asked is obviously a very big, people often do it when it's presented to them right in front of them. It's made very easy. If those opportunities aren't there for whatever reason, then we'll be losing people who might otherwise have donated. So I think that's definitely part of it.
2: Yeah. So I think one of the really interesting things is, you know, the old adage in fundraising communities that one of the most Common reasons why people give to charities because someone asked them to give. And of course, one of the things that really happened during the pandemic was with sponsorship in particular, which fell from 23% of people sponsoring someone in the year before the pandemic. Sorry, it fell from 32% before the pandemic to 23% last year. And that was a real consequence of there just not being the opportunities for people to go out and fundraise and, and raise sponsorship and also for for therefore for donors to, to sponsor friends for doing those things. And, and we saw how the pandemic catalyzed all sorts of trends in the wider economy in terms of technology and and working from home and all that sort of those trends that were grown through the pandemic. But you really see it in the charity world as well where things, trends that were there before Really were catalysed, and that I think is one of the most acute consequences for the charity sector of the pandemic was particularly around sponsorship income and, and that style of, of fundraising.
0: Oh, yeah, I think that's uh, some of those methods um, just weren't there. Obviously, the sort of face to face fundraising in the street stopped, and the and the big events and things like that stopped. And I guess they've they've come back, but maybe the numbers of people engaging in it and not so much. And maybe there's something around the the cost of living crisis that people are maybe less keen to do that type of fundraising where they're asking their sort of friends and family to sponsor them to do something when they know that, you know, things are tight for people and there's the sort of inflationary issues that everyone's dealing with. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, I think, next year, the report on this year's kind of activity to see again, Certainly with some of those trends, some of those changes since the pandemic, like how how much they're kind of starting to reverse or, you know, which which ones are really kind of taken hold and and have changed. Cause I suppose some of those things like the, the hybrid working, for example, I think is here to stay to kind of greater or lesser extent in different organisations, but certainly now more of a mix isn't there so some of the some of the stuff around the corporate volunteering you mentioned um is certainly impacted by that kind of thing isn't
1: it? Some of them probably are entrenched. I mean cash giving for example we talked about this before mm. cash giving kind of fell off a cliff really during that first lockdown. Yeah. And I mean it has crept up a bit but it's never going back. For that and you know if people haven't got cash well again if it's a if it's a quite a casual sort of donation opportunity those some of those will be missed. I think to your point about the cost of living prices, you're absolutely right. I'm sure that will be difficult. And we, you know, we know from our research, the majority of people are saying they're cutting back on at least something. And most people are cutting back on several things and including charity donations. I think it was 17% of people said that they were going to cut back on charity donations. Now, not all of those people will or have. We can see in our lower numbers of people giving that some of them did go ahead and do that. Yeah. But well, we're expecting another interest rate rise aren't we um tomorrow is that tomorrow mm-hmm. so um you know yeah who who knows how that will sort of materialize over the rest of the year
0: yeah i don't know the figures specifically but i think there's been a trend away from um regular giving hasn't there over the last sort of number of years in terms of people giving by monthly direct debit debit you know people tending to do less of that and doing more of the sort of ad hoc you know, just donating, as you say, when you're asked or, or when you when you feel like it. And I suppose that's it's a lot easier for people to just not make that ad hoc donation than it is maybe to kind of go actually cancel a direct debit where you have to kind of proactively do something to stop rather than just not proactively doing something to, to donate. So I wonder whether that kind of comes into it a little bit as well, some of those kind of changes in the way that people are given.
1: I I think Mm -hmm. the direct debit point is interesting because that's actually the the top way to give now, whereas it used to be cash. But yeah, I mean you're right. We did have a number of people who said that they had cancelled a direct debit or a regular gift to charity because of the cost of living crisis. Also, of course, with direct debits, I mean people set them up and then forget about them, and sometimes charities Mm -hmm. quite like that and they don't want to remind them too much in case they're cancelled. But then of course people don't increase them, and if you know if you Mm -hmm. set a a direct debit for ten pounds three years ago well it's worth a lot less than that now don't tend to go in and just increase them by eight percent every january or whatever
0: yeah i wonder what some of the changes are around the way that people want to engage with charities and with organizations because i suppose we've probably reached a point where everyone's inboxes are at saturation point and i suppose less you know more people kind of cancel the postal stuff because of Environmental factors and and just kind of not wanting that, so switch to emails. But now, no one wants more emails in their inbox. So, yeah, it's interesting how some of those factors can impact. Because then, of course, if people aren't opted into things, then you can't ask them again or you know engage with them in different ways. So, yeah, I suppose across those sort of different channels, some of those changes and and those sort of demographic changes. I think in terms of young people wanting to engage. In different ways in terms of how they think about social action more broadly um, and sometimes thinking about kind of you know movements rather than necessarily kind of traditional charities uh, that's a other kind of interesting things to throw in the mix, I think, isn't it, in terms of some of those kind of wider trends. But I appreciate that won't the sort of data in the report won't necessarily answer any any questions about that. And I don't think I'm necessarily posing a question, but more just kind of thinking out loud about some of those kind of changes that then impact on giving and and how charities can respond. Cause I suppose it's yeah, it's that question of like why, why are less people give in. How can charities reach some of those people that aren't giving rather than, you know, the, we can't really rely on the same people to keep giving more and more. So how do we reach those people that aren't at the moment?
2: Yeah, and I think it, you raised a really interesting point because there is a lot of change going on out there that are societal trends that, that really affect the charity world as well. And it's something we're giving a lot of thought to is, yeah, as we see in our high net worth, donor base, younger donors, some of whom have made that money themselves very early in life, much earlier in life than historically. People tended to generate a lot of money and some who've inherited it from, from parents have very different attitudes towards charities and giving and and the sorts of impact that they want to create. And they're absolutely not pivoting away from, from traditional donations to charities, but you see trends around, you know, as you alluded to, Alex, people thinking about other ways that they have a a positive or negative impact on the world. So the sorts of brands that they buy from and, and brands that have sustainability at the heart of the way they produce what they produce, be that clothing or cars or transportation, whatever. There's definitely people seeing the different ways to have an impact that are not the same as previous generations, where it was all about you know straightforward charitable giving. And, and I think it really provides both an opportunity and, and a threat to, to charities to tap into a generation that is more socially conscious, perhaps than has ever been before, but also to adapt to a generation that sees its impact and sees the way that it can have a positive influence on the world quite differently to to how previous generations have.
0: Yeah, I suppose coming back to the cost of living crisis, that seems to be something that's front of mind for everyone at the moment and certainly in the sector is is something that's front of mind both in terms of those sort of inflationary pressures on on charities' costs, but of course also on how that impacts on their fundraising. What's the sort of latest that you're seeing from the data? I know you mentioned there were kind of increase in numbers of people saying they're likely to stop. What do you think is the sort of latest information you've got on that? Or or is it that we're going to get a clearer picture from the kind of next year's report, which will be on, you know, on the data from this year?
1: Yeah, so I mean, certainly next year will be an interesting one, I think, to pick up those trends. I mean, in terms of the data we've already collected from 2022, as I said, you know, lots of people have said they were cutting back. I think about one in 20 people said that they were going to um, cancel or reduce a direct debit or similar and about one in 10 people had chosen not to make an ad hoc donation because of the cost of living crisis so it's hard to see that that will improve over this year I mean hopefully into next year perhaps that might start mm-hmm. to improve but um for the meantime I imagine that that will continue
0: and do you see is it like is it too early to see that actually then, um, kind of coming through to the question around like, have you donated within the last four weeks? Is it too early to see that, or are you seeing that kind of people are saying they're likely to to stop, and then you're seeing the kind of giving levels go down?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think we are seeing that in this sort of broader trend of fewer people giving. Not everybody who says that they will give less will actually give less. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things from UK Giving and one of the great things about having such a longitudinal study is that we can see sort of going back to, let's say, 2000, I think 2007, something like that, that sort of overall pot of billions of pounds until very recently has actually been really quite stable. So it's been around about the 10, 10 billion mark and the, the great financial crash didn't have a huge impact the double dip, it wasn't quite a double dip in the end, was it? But the double dip recession didn't have a huge impact. The BRICS, the referendum, all these sorts of things that people thought might have a big impact actually didn't really shift the dial all that much. You know, people were committed to, to giving what they were giving. It takes a lot to shift that number down yeah. because yeah. people do just keep doing what, you know, doing what they are committed to doing. That said, you know, clearly there are fewer people in, in, in this, um, this year's report and it was the same for last year. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same for next year. And it will be a combination of all of those things, you know, the fewer opportunities, people having less money and more becoming more worried about their future, even if they haven't got less money right now. Um, so, yeah, I would expect to see that continue.
0: Yeah, I mean, the key point, I suppose, is that although the figures aren't hugely alarming, as in, as in you're not seeing a huge drop, like staying at the same sort of level just isn't going to be enough because the need is increasing and the costs of doing the same are increasing so actually you know we need that we need significant increase in giving as well actually the the episode before this one I was speaking to Howard Lake um the founder of UK fundraising and his latest venture is called giving x and it's about trying to find ideas new ways of doing things that will significantly scale that overall giving and i think he's he's struggling to find even even many people working on that question, really, you know, just posing the question of how do we significantly increase that overall amount of money that's being given? And he's looking, you know, potentially at a sort of global level. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question in that there are initiatives in certain niches within that. Uh, you know, looking at increasing high high value philanthropy and things, for example, with like Beacon collaborative or collective. yeah, that overall question. there's no kind doesn't seem to be like a big driver towards particularly doing that, although there may be I no cuff sometimes campaigns on like changes government can make that would would help with things like that. So I know there are some things happening, but uh it's certainly an interesting question that. Howard poses. I don't know if that's something that anyone at CAF looks at or something that you guys um, have on your radar or are involved in.
2: Yes, we're certainly looking at ways that we can help that, as in making it easier for people to give, making giving a more more common thing. So Mm -hmm. everything from the way that we make our giving products work better from, from the donor's point of view, the, you know, things like you know, the, our charity accounts where people have a pot of money and, and, and give those away. And we want to find ways that charities can showcase their work and their impact to people that have got the money to, to give away. Even to things like, that, they're actually old, but things like payroll giving, which has been around in the UK for over 35 years, how do we revamp that for the 21st century in a way that is attractive to donors, that people want to, to take it up more and the, who you then get more people giving and you grow the, the overall share of the pie that the charities have.
0: And do you think that will be, you know, if you were to take safe payroll giving, for example, do you think that's about technological improvements or is it more about communication or something else?
2: I think some of it is technological improvements, making it easier to use, making it more attractive to use. There's some good examples of that in the States that I think could work here. Some of it, though, is around the general culture, isn't it? We see some firms really promote payroll giving amongst their employees, and it becomes a a part of the identity of the firm and, and, and a part of how... They talk about the the firm's impact and their employees' collective impact, and other firms don't. So I think some of it is around, yeah, the cultural expectations about giving and the way that people can give in a more collaborative and and collective way, which, again, makes it more attractive for, for people to become a part of.
0: And what what were those examples that you thought of in the US that you've seen? I, I do love a, a good example from somewhere somewhere else. Off the top
2: of my head, I don't remember the the particular names, but the, the, there's quite a lot of payroll giving providers in the states that have built really engaging technological platforms that the employee okay. can use. And you know, you see the impact of, of your donation mm-hmm. more rather than just seeing something being deducted from your paycheck each month. You, you get yeah. more, more information about what is actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's... Uh, I was saying to Howard on the last one, actually, I'm surprised there's not been more like that, you know, in terms of just having really, uh, you know, visually appealing, easy to use apps that, you know, you can just have a kind of giving up on your phone and you can you know, choose who you support and then you can, you know, get updates on there that, you know, demonstrate the impact of your work. And you can see kind of videos and images and stories and things like that. It seems like that would be something that would be quite compelling for a donor and also addresses some of those things around, you know, not wanting the, the incoming stuff. You know, it's not kind of coming into your inbox and and getting lost in there. You can kind of go in and see now, you know, I donated to that cause. I want to see what's, what's happening with that. How much have I raised in total now? And, you know, what, what difference is that making and things? I've seen one or two, one or two apps like that, but I mean, nothing that kind of stands out as something that, you know, a significant number of people have on their phone in the way that you could point to. I don't know. For cyclists, they'll have Strava or something. Like I can't think of anything like that in terms of kind of giving, you know, more than a very small number of people that would have even heard of it let alone used it. So yeah, I don't know if it's just not kind of being created yet, or if the model's not there. I suppose with some of 100. the fundraising platforms, there's that challenge around the model, isn't there? Of you know, people not wanting to pay the cost of the platform running and that kind of thing with things like giving and places like that. So maybe, maybe the business model just isn't quite there to make it work. Hi, right, please excuse this brief interruption. I just want to give you a discount code for Transformational Fundraising Tactics, a series of live online training courses from UK Fundraising, the new site and community run by Howard Lake since 1994. These courses are typically 90 minutes delivered by experienced trainers and packed with practical advice so you'll leave with ideas and actions to implement and test straight away. Courses include starting a major donor campaign, how to fundraise online on a shoestring, how to move from fundraiser to CEO, maximising gift aid, and recruiting and retaining fundraisers. If you go to fundraising.co.uk, you'll find training on the main menu, and then when booking any of the courses, use the code POD 15 all one word, for a 15% discount. You can also find the link and code on the Charity Impact Podcast webpage for episode 22 with Howard Lake. In the current environment, we definitely all need some transformational fundraising tactics. So I highly recommend checking out these courses. I wanted to ask you as well, I know they're giving reports on that sort of wider public. I know you guys work a lot with Private philanthropists, individuals, corporate foundations, various different kind of giving models. It might be one for you, Mark, that you know when you're speaking to people in that area, what sort of trends are you seeing there? Like, did they tend to be telling you the same sorts of things that you see from that kind of giving report data, or is it a, quite a different, different kind of set of opinions and views and behaviours?
2: One of the helpful things with the longitudinal nature of of this study is you, you can see giving trends through quite a few different recessions and quite a few cycles around the economic cycle now. And one of the things that we always notice is that generally speaking, even in tough economic times, giving by high net worth individuals tends to survive, sometimes grow, even through difficult economic times. And of course, there are people who are in a fortunate enough place to, to be relatively immune from the battering and buffering that, that comes with with difficult economic times. And we see that. What we say to people is that if you can give, then now is the time. Because as the general public is is tightened people who are in a more fortunate position really will will give and we see that every time there's one of these economic crises i remember talking with lots of clients on the phone as covid was really hitting and the early stages of the lockdowns and they were saying look we're in a fortunate position we need to and there's the people there's charities that need money now so we've got to give we know we have to do something and mm-hmm. And and that was really, really heartening to see, really encouraging to see, and and really nice to hear those stories of of how people felt they should respond in that crisis. Generally speaking, giving amongst wealthy people is not actually particularly high in the UK. So Mm -hmm. there's an organization called the Beacon Collaborative, which is a group of charities and other organizations that that work in the philanthropy space and taking different approaches to, to growing giving. And they study giving by millionaires each month. And in the first three months of 2023, one in three millionaires had made a charitable gift of over £10,000. And that was up significantly from what it tends to be. I I don't know if you've covered it on on the podcast before, but the Law Family Commission report found that that actually when you look at the top 1% of income tax payers, they actually donate about 0.2% of of their income and that just getting that to 1% would generate an extra £1.4 billion a year for the charity sector. So, the wealthy do a lot, but there's a lot more that could be done. and. That really is both an imperative, of course, on them, but but also on charities to see the opportunity there and, and to, to realize, again, the, the size of the prize that's there. If, if they can get to the people with the resources and make a compelling case for, for supporting their cause. And there are, of course, many people out there who, who want to give, but they want to find an impactful cause that they can believe in and they can trust and, and they can rely on. And, and that's really what they're looking for.
0: There's a question in there as well, isn't there, around giving now versus thinking about your sort of long term legacy of giving and, and things like that? Because often with those those giving figures with high value philanthropy, often when millionaire or billionaire makes a huge gift into their own charitable foundation, that's classed as them giving. You know, that's, you know, so when you see the Financial Times rich list and they do the giving list, often there's like some huge numbers in there, but actually it's just been put into their own foundation. And yes, that's now committed. It has to be given to charitable activity, but it might not be given for another hundred years. So it's always frustrating to see that included in the figures because to me, there's been no social impact from that yet. It only comes when it's then actually given to a charity that's doing something, as opposed to kind of sitting there waiting to be granted at some point in the future. But yeah, I mean, it's always good to hear that you know people are wanting to give something now when there's when there's a kind of crisis. But I suppose there's a a question to do that even when we're not in kind of crisis mode, which you know will will be nice. If and when we reach a point where we feel like we're not in crisis mode after the last couple of years, but yeah, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on
2: on that one at all. Ultimately, creating impact is about getting the money to to charities that that will use it. And I think what I always come back to is we see a lot of people that have set aside money for for charity and and are waiting to be inspired to give it. We also see a lot of people who are reluctant to do that for all sorts of psychological and personal yeah. reasons. And it's two sides of the equation, isn't it? There's the donors and there's the, the charities, the causes. And, and it's I think there's a great opportunity for charities to to inspire donors. To, and, and as I said before, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to instill confidence in donors, to, to get them to support that cause. Our messaging to our clients who who are in a fortunate position is to say, look, you're more needed now than ever. And actually, from your own personal point of view, what that means is the impact you can have is, is huge because not everyone's in a position to, to give now.
0: I'm pretty sure that during the pandemic, there was an increase in giving towards health causes, as you would imagine, certainly was towards, you know, the kind of NHS related causes and charities In the response to the cost of living crisis, have you seen um, both in terms of the UK giving report data and also in your conversations with philanthropists, is there a shift perhaps in terms of where people give if it's going more towards, you might link to the cost of living crisis relating to poverty and, and food banks and the like? Be particularly interesting with the sort of high value philanthropist side where I suppose often. Those big gifts are associated with, you know, higher education and the arts and, you know, some of those types of capital projects in, in different areas, whether, you know, there's a bit less of that and a bit more of, you know, something directly relating to the crisis or or not.
1: I mean, certainly from a sort of broader trends point of view, you're right, during pandemic, we did see a sort of pivot towards to um, hospitals and hospices and I, I think that, that sort of NHS charities together kind of d- yeah. d- a part of that. Um, in terms of sort of the overall, the major causes that people give to, they're actually remarkably unchanged this year and, and animal charities still are the number one or the most mm-hmm. popular anyway, the most widely supported causes in the UK. So we, do, we are a nation of animal lovers and that is um, proven time and time again for the UK Giving Report. We have captured food banks for the first time this year. So it'd be interesting to see next year whether that's gone up or down. But that was I can't remember the number off the top of my head. I think it might have been about 17% of people said they'd given to a, a food bank. I guess some of the top causes are really the same as they have been for a while amongst mm-hmm. the, the sort of the general public in terms of high net worth. Yeah.
0: I suppose it's it's a difficult one, I suppose, to categorize, isn't it, as well? Because I suppose it, you know, it's easy when it's like health or education. But something that relates to cost of living, it's probably something that almost every local charity of any kind is probably dealing with in one way or another. But they'll be categorised in different sections because they might be, you know, set up to help children with disabilities, but they will inevitably be helping families um, that are dealing with kind of, you know, increasing costs and things like that as well. So I suppose it's a difficult one because there's not an obvious kind of category that. All of those charities will be sitting in. But I suppose, from Mark, from your conversations with philanthropists, maybe it's easier to get a sort of anecdotal feel of whether there are any sort of trends in that way.
2: As you say, it's quite a difficult one to separate, where, you know, the COVID (laughs) leading to huge surge in giving to hospitals and hospices, really simple. There you are. There. The cost of living is so much less specific certainly no real data feeding through. But what we do have is, yes, sometimes clients asking us, what can I do to help with cost of living? And of course, a lot of that does end up being food banks and that immediate alleviation of poverty. And so we'll be keeping an eye on this, and we'll certainly see what happens over the next a few months and and years but it's a difficult one our general message to charities rather to donors is look the charities that you support and that you like and whose cause you are behind they are struggling because of the cost of living crisis because their own costs have gone up and because perhaps their donations have, have gone down and so just general support unrestricted funding is key to helping them get through that
0: good point do you get many people asking you about more of a sort of system change approach? Because uh, I suppose I'd lazily use the examples of food banks as as an example of, you know, where, where where might you donate in response to cost of living? But I suppose part of it is, you know, thinking rather than responding to the crisis, thinking about some of the root causes and thinking about, you know, how can we change things so that we're, you know, we've we have a more a fairer, more prosperous society, and all of those kind of questions is is that something that people are thinking about, or does it tend to be more that sort of crisis response? How can we, you know, help it? now that we have the problem? How, how do we do something about it, rather than how can we stop this from happening again?
2: It's certainly, something that we won't quite say push, but promote with, with donors is to take that approach to think about systems to to think about the causes of the problems rather than the the symptoms of them i would say it's still relatively niche within even quite sophisticated high net worth donors people that look at that because i think we've had such a culture for such a long time of saying you give this amount of money and it does this exact thing and has this exact impact and When we talk about systems change and a more systemic approach to philanthropy, you don't have that connection. And and I think people fall back into the ways of, well, I want to, you know, that I was told £10 buys a meal for for a family for, you know, a day or two. And and so therefore, that's what I'm going to do. But what we... Do find is that the further into their giving journey people are, the more they want to think about the systems and how they can change that mm. rather than the symptoms. Yeah.
0: After you've paid for a certain amount of meals, you start to wonder, yeah. <laughs> you know, where where it's going to end and what what you can maybe do to to make it so that people can afford to buy their own meals. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I think we've probably covered. The kind of the key points from the report and, and a bit of other kind of commentary around that. Are there any other resources or, or related reports or wider reading or anything at all that you'd recommend our listeners go to if they'd like to look up more around whether it's given trends or, or some of the related topics we've discussed?
1: I mean, in terms of reports um, we're about to uh, release the next installment of our charities resilience index. So a big part of our, of our work at CAF is looking at charity resilience and helping charities to build resilience. So we've been tracking this sort of topic with charities since October last year, really to try and understand how, how the cost of living crisis is impacting them and the sorts of actions that they're taking uh, to mitigate it. So that will be out this week. Also, we've got, got a report on corporate giving coming out called uh, Giving by the FTSE 100. Um, and that will be in July, I think. People look out for that as well.
0: Okay, great. The link to the resilience one, because that will be out by the time this episode is out. And uh, and the other one people can watch out for as well. Is there any final points that you want to share? Any Any final message you've got for the listeners at all?
2: I suppose the only other thing would be to add, there's also a charity hub on our website with lots of resources around fundraising and engaging with donors and governance and all sorts of other ways, uh, helpful resources for charities at, at this time. So that's always available for charities whenever they want to access it.
0: Okay, great. We'll share the link to that as well. well. Thank you both for coming on and talking through that. That was really interesting. And I'm sure there will be future reports that we'll, we'd love to dig into as well. So hopefully we'll have you back on at some point as well.
1: Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Alex.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Charity Impact Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time and attention. I know how precious a resource time is. I hope you enjoyed the show. If I could trouble you for a further two minutes of your day, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave a review on your podcast player via ratethispodcast.com slash charity. You can engage with us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Just search Charity Impact Podcast or search Charity Impact Podcast in your browser to find our website where you can email me directly and you can subscribe to our email list for the opportunity to submit questions for me to ask upcoming guests. You can also find all the show notes and the previous episodes and links to resources that our guests have recommended there. Until next time. Take care and thanks for listening.